Hello, church. Welcome to the Gallery Church Online. We are so glad that you are with us. I, I want to help us settle into this online gathering by sharing a prayer that's based upon Romans 8, 26 and Revelations 22, 20. So let's take a deep breath together and let that out. Now, would you read this out loud with me? Today, I rest in the blessing of hunger. I join with the groaning of the Holy Spirit and hold my longing for a world where you make all things right and all things new and give voice to my cry. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for praying that with me. We desire to know Jesus Christ more intimately and have designed this online experience so that it can be true for us in our lives because we believe Jesus is life and light and we desire for you to see him here in this gathering today. If you're new to our church, may we welcome you. It is our mission as a church to be a display of God's greatness here in Baltimore and to the world. And we are so thankful that you have chosen to spend this time with us. And if you're watching this during our 1030 gathering, I want to invite you as our guest to join us in a Zoom lingering that starts 10 minutes after the 10 a.m. gathering. And tonight at 7.30 p.m., we're also going to host another Zoom gathering. This is new. This is our first time doing it, but we know many of you cannot watch with us in the morning and you're watching throughout the day. And so we're creating another opportunity to strengthen, encourage and equip each other. And the link for those Zoom lingering is in this video description. But before we move forward in today's worship of our Lord and Savior and King Jesus, let's enter into a time of generosity and focus on that. It is important that we keep all of our Father in Heaven's character out in front of us and that we continue to remember that He is a generous God and He desires for us to do the same. So right now, would you join me in this prayer of generosity? Father in heaven, there is nothing that I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord who love him with free and serve him with renewed minds, who withstanding the delusion of riches that chokes the world, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all of the world. Amen. Thank you for praying that with me. And I'd like to encourage you to take a moment right now to give. You can do that through our app or you can go online to gcbdowntown.com giving. Welcome to the week four of our six-week series about the makings, meetings, and methods of the early church. We are drawing inspiration from the first century church for the decisions and direction of our church today. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of age. Jesus, Matthew 28. If Jesus saved my soul, the church is saving my life. Unknown. This week, we look at the mission of the early church with a focus on how they are ready to love, serve, and care for one another and those in their community. In Acts chapter 2, 44-47, we read, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved.
Okay, church, we are now in week four of our series, Replant, um, where we're looking at what it looked like for the church to grow from the ground up, from Jesus and his disciples, and then to the early believers in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. And we only have two weeks to go. But before I get into all of that, into the topic of today, which is the mission of the church, I want to start just by saying a thank you. Uh, to all of you who participated um, in our prayer and in prayer and fasting this week for the good of our church and the good of our city and the good of our nation and the world. Uh, but I just want to encourage us, let's not, let's not stop. Let's continue to pray. We've developed these rhythms. This is a great opportunity for you and your hub and in your growth community to continue these communal prayer practices, keeping to the rhythm of us stopping and being with Jesus together and crying out to him and, and rejoicing and, and sharing our praises with him. Um, and also I just want to say so much is happening in our community um, and in our city and in our nation and it is many times just not possible for me or for us to be able to bring them into the online recordings of our uh, gatherings. Uh, I record the teaching on Tuesday. It is translated into Spanish on Wednesday, and it is developed into a video, which you're now watching on Thursdays and into Fridays and then uploaded to our hosting site so that we can enjoy this together. And so with that system, it really makes it hard for us to respond immediately in our gatherings to the things and the announcements and the loss and the pain and the groanings and even some of the joys and the celebrations uh, in this type of format. That's one of the reasons why we've started the post-service Zoom lingering times together so that we can address things in real time and encourage and edify and equip one another for the challenges that we're facing. So I just want to encourage you, look in the description of where you're watching this video um, and join into our neighborhood church, uh, whichever church you're a part of. Make sure you're joining into that Zoom opportunity and not just watching the video. Okay, let's pray. Father, man, we just, I need a breath. I feel like we as a church need a breath. There's so much happening and we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient. We want people to see Jesus in us. So, Father, right now, would you settle us, teach us, and then continue to give us the strength to be obedient to all that we've learned. We so much thank you for Jesus. Amen. All right. So we've been looking at how the gallery church can learn from the early church and replant ourselves in 2021 in what we believe are the practices that honor Jesus Christ, that things that he taught, things that he shared about his kingdom and how we not only participate in that, but what is the message of that? Uh, what really, what does it really look like for us to walk obediently in the will and the ways of our Father in heaven? So the response to that is the church. The church is the obedient, it should be the obedient response. It should be what we call those of us who are together walking in God's will and God's ways, prophesying in his name, which we've talked about, doing compassionate ministry, which we've discussed. And can I remind us of week one when I said this, there is no plan B. The church is God's plan for his will and his ways to be shared and taught and people immersed into it and to be able to walk away for our current worldly allegiances and, and, and give our allegiance to our true King and our true Lord. There is no plan B. All right. So today, the mission of the church, there was an article that got a lot of traction over these last several months written by a lady named Tara, Tara Haley. Uh, she specializes in the impact of disasters in communities. And she, she writes about it, I believe, more scientifically and, and the impacts of, of those disasters on communities. And so she wrote an article 
on the pandemic and the impact of it on her own life and on her family and on her community. And so it, it kind of spurred in her a desire to share her expertise in writing um, with her audience. And so she published an article and it's on what's called surge capacity. So let me tell you what that is. Um, it is a collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical. Listen to this. It's the adaptive systems, both mental and physical, that humans draw on for short-term survival in acutely stressful situations, situations such as a natural disaster. And then she goes on, but natural disasters occur over a short period of time, even if recovery is long. Pandemics are different. Can I get an amen? Pandemics are different. The disaster itself stretches out indefinitely. Man, is that not a powerful word? The point of bringing all this up is that this is how our bodies respond. So this surge capacity is how our body responds to a disaster, both mentally and physically. And it gives us the ability to jump into that occasion. The only problem is, is that with the pandemic, it's not like we're just responding to a disaster like a flood grabbing what we can and then getting out and celebrating what was rescued. We are in a continuous moment of constantly feeling like we need to be jumping into action and addressing things that are out of our control and it's continuing to go on. So she brings up in this article and all of this, I promise you is going to relate to the church because I believe that what we're facing in this pandemic is what the church should be about. And the things that we're going to be mentioning is the mission of the church. And so she mentions in this a concept called ambiguous loss. It's And this is how she defined it. Any loss that's unclear and lacks a resolution. So ambiguous loss is any loss that's unclear and lacks a resolution. It goes on, she goes on to say it elicits the same experience of grief as a more tangible loss. So, so for instance, if flooding, you lose so much of your possessions and you grieve that. And then ambiguous loss is, I don't know what I'm losing, but I know I'm losing something and you still feel the weight of that loss. Um, so I, I've mentioned a flood. Um, my family has experienced that. My family has even experienced a house fire. And you're standing there looking at what you've lost. That is one thing to be able to feel that. But in a pandemic, you're, you're feeling loss, but you're looking around trying to, to, to see what it is that you really lost. It's almost like as if we're sitting in a park bench in Patterson Park or one of the parks near you. And we're looking out, feeling the weight of grief and the loss. And we're looking around, trying to figure out what it is that we've lost. But yet we still feel the power of that loss. That's been so much about what's been going on. So she goes on to offer several examples of how you cope with the ambiguous loss. And let me just say this. Isn't this the purpose of the church? Listen to what she says about how to cope with ambiguous loss. And let me just see how much of this we can see is the mission of the church. The first is accept that life is different. So we've, we, we experiencing this grief and loss. And so she's suggesting that we take some time to accept that life is different. And there's so much that was happening in the first century church. We even read about it in Acts 5 and Acts 6, the ways that life was different for them. They were sharing good news and loving people, but yet they were being flogged for it. That's life being different, but yet accepting that life. And they rejoiced in that life. Our lives are different. And there's a difference to us addressing what we're doing if we can learn to accept it. And then the second thing she says that I think is really important is to expect less. I think that's interesting because so often our expectations are so high. We expect so much from other people. We expect so much from ourselves. We expect so much from our circumstances. And I think many times what we need to do is to be able to lay down those expectations. We'll be talking about that more in the coming weeks, but we many times 
add to the weight of our grief because our expectations are too high. And she goes on to say, you need to recognize the aspects of grief. I don't think that there's a whole lot more I can say about that right now. But many times we need to just take a deep breath and to recognize the, the aspects of the grief that is happening in our lives. Then the next thing she says, and this is something we're going to spend more time on in our teaching today, but you need to experiment, experiment with both and thinking. And that means that there's times where we need to say, well, I can't do this, but I can do that. Or this is not good for me, but it's good for us. You know, this, it's both and it's, I need to do this and I need to do that. I can't just focus on one thing. I need to focus on others. And if we're going to get through things like a pandemic or we're going to be the church there, we need to develop that both and thinking talking more about that in a minute. So, and then you need to look for activities new and old that fulfill you. Um, I know my mom watches uh, my teachings every week and I just feel so honored by that. It brings great joy to me. And then to be able to call her on Sundays. And then I know that she's always going to talk to me about something that I shared in the teaching. And even this week, seeing the impact of the pandemic on my own family and, and how it has impacted my mom at her age in, in, in living, um, alone and the, the, the pain that that has now caused like a constant set of loss and grief. And, and when I, when I saw this in the, in uh, Tara's suggestions, it made me think we need to look for activities new and old that fill you. And my mom and I had a conversation about the things that fill us and how we get those into our daily lives. I think that's why we want you to be in a hub and in a growth community right now is to have honest conversations about there's a lot of things we can't do right now, but there are a lot of things we can do and what things can we do that are filling? And does that not seem like the purpose of the church? The next thing she recommends is maintain and strengthen important relationships. Man, is that not the church community? That's what this whole series is seemingly about from the meetings of the church to the methods of the church and now the ministry and the mission and all the things that we're going through. But we need to maintain and strengthen important relationships. And can I, may I say to you guys, when I do a wedding ceremony, for a couple in our church, there's almost always a moment in that time of looking into the face of the, the bride and, and the groom that I look at them and I'm like, you need to both be initiators of love in this relationship. Too many people in church are always waiting to be initiated with, and they, they're not good initiators. And let me just say this as a church, between one another, from pastor to people, from people to pastor, from people to people, even with our relationship with God, he's initiating towards us, but we need to be initiating towards him, initiating towards one another. It's going to help us maintain and strengthen those important relationships. And then you need to build your resilience. Can we talk about fruits of the spirit, like perseverance and long suffering? And there's ways in which we need to be determined to build that resilience. It's like a lot of people right now in their January commitments to exercise, they're trying to build habits of daily resilience in physical activity. We need to do that. So we need to look at the both and thinking because both and thinking and the mission of the church, I think are going to be really helpful for us to complete this entire list because the first people that followed Jesus were looking at both and thinking, I believe on a regular basis because they were looking at one another saying, what do we need? Remember they were in the first century under Roman oppression and incredible taxation and bad political government and bad religious leaders and the religious pressures. I mean, there was, it was bad all around and they were constantly saying, what do we need? And then there was this constant tension of what do others need? That was the Romans six, or excuse me, Acts six that we talked about last week. The idea that the widows that were not being um, treated fairly and they needed to address that issue, but they also needed as a people to learn to talk about Jesus and to find him in prayer. And this is what do we need and what do others need this both and aspect. And we begin to see this um, in Acts chapter one and verse eight, it's up on the screen for you right now to read along with me. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will then be my witness. You see this? There's a gift to you, but then it's going to be a gift to others. It's both and. The Holy Spirit's coming to us, but it's coming to us as a gift to other people. And as we get into the message of the church next week, we're going to be looking at this a little bit more intently, but the gift of Jesus is coming to us as a way of getting out to other people. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the word witness in the English language is generally very diluted into just saying that I've seen something like, oh, I, I, I witnessed um, a car accident in the intersection. And so I, in just speaking to that, but this word that's translated in Acts 1-8 and throughout the book of Acts is really where we get our word martyr. And so it really should read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my martyr in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth because the, the 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 word here in greek is that you're witness so much to it that you're you believe in it so much that you would be willing to give your life for that cause and jesus is saying i am going to use you to be my witness i am going to use you to be fully devoted to my cause sharing your life like i shared my life with you. And that is this both. And I'm give, I'm receiving and giving. I am, I am loving God and loving others at all cost. And this is the message that was happening. And we as a church on mission, we need to be about what we need and we need to be about what others need and constantly live in the tension of that. So what was the role in this Verse in Acts 1-8, we talk about this in our intentional living class that we're going to be hosting again online. So stay tuned for that. But what is our role in the world? We're not the judge. We're, if this is a courtroom setting, we're not the jury. We're not the bailiff. We're not attorneys. We're not in the audience, but we are in that witness chair. It is our responsibility to testify to what we've seen. We don't sit in the chair and testify what somebody else has seen because that would be hearsay. I can't sit in the witness chair and say, yeah, my wife Ginger came home and she said that, um, you know, she witnessed this accident in the street. If I was in the chair saying that it wouldn't take long for the attorneys to stand up and be like, hearsay, um, get, get his wife, put Ginger in the stand. She's the one that actually witnessed it. And I believe the people in our lives that we are coming into contact with deserve us to be honest with them, truthful with them, share what we have seen and what we've heard and no more. We can't make up stuff or we can't try to think, well, let me just tell Pastor Ellis's testimony right now. No, you share your story. And when you bump up against questions or circumstances that you don't know what to say, you just say, you know what? I don't have an answer for that right now. Let me get back to you. Um, so our responsibility is to be a witness. So how do we care for others? How do we fulfill the mission of the church? So let me remind you the basic overarching gallery church mission. We seek to dis be a display of God's greatness where we live, learn, work, and play. Basically, wherever we go, we want to be a display of God's greatness. Now that has been called into question in our nation as of late about being a display of God and, and the tension of, man, there are people that are claiming Jesus and the symbols of the church and they're using them for violence and hatred and division. And so we're now stuck, but the gallery church, let me just say this to all of us, whether you're listening through translation by pastor bill in Comunidad or my Patterson brothers and sisters or our downtown family, or even Many of you online and other parts of the world, let me say this. You and I must be a display of the greatness of God. We must allow the light of Christ to shine on us so that we can, we can cast a light into this darkness that even other parts of the church are bringing more darkness into. We must stay after 
the truth. And so the first week we introduced a slide and I'm going to bring it back up for you where it shows how inner intentional living overlaps everything from our hubs to our growth communities, to our neighborhood churches, all the way up to the, to a, up to the grouping of churches that we're partnering with and not only under the gallery name, but other churches in the city. And the, the mission of the church needs to be lived out in the smallest expression of who we are, these hubs, and continuing out in the circles. Because in our growth communities, it gives us a chance to be in a familiar place with others and we'll, where we can encourage one another, strengthen each other, and help each other have that both and where we getting, we're getting what we need, but we're also offering it to other people. And in the hubs, it gives us a chance to even break that down even more, but we do the same things. We get what we need and we're offering something to other people. That is what we do with the church because our father has set that up. Jesus came to give us life so that we can give our lives away as he gave his life away. So it, our church discipleship language, our, our church's mission, when we bring together evangelism and discipleship, we use a term called intentional living. And some of you that have been with us for a while, you may have been through an intentional living class. Some of you are new and you have not uh, been a part of that. This is what we believe is the mission of the church is you and I intentionally living. Intentionally living is not the program of the church. It is how we live. It is how we allow God to get the glory and the plans that he's laid out for us. Learning how to obey in private as well as living our lives out because we know people are watching us. And they are determining the central message of Jesus, not just by what we say, but how they are watching us. I shared this, I shared this in our intentional living class, but a couple of years after we moved here, um, we had what we call snowmageddon. There was this stretch of like six weeks in Baltimore where we got like 81 inches of snow. I think we were setting records for, for Baltimore. The city streets were shut down. I'm sure some of you right now are remembering the three big snowstorms that we got back to back after Christmas all the way through the first week of February. And it felt like we were snowed in and my son and I were outside shoveling snow, which felt like that was all we were doing in the month of January. And while we were doing that, a neighbor crossed this big snow pile, walked across the street, crossed our snow pile, walked right up to us and said, excuse me, but are you guys Christians? And I just looked at my son. He looked at me. I looked at the back of my shovel to see if there was an ikthu symbol on it. I looked at my clothing. All I was wearing was a winter jacket and gloves and a hat and shoveling. And this person was asking me if I was a Christian. And I said, yes. I said, do you mind if I ask you why you're asking? And then this, this made Colossians chapter four come alive to me. His words to me were, I've been watching you through your windows. I was like, whoa, I, was, I started thinking about other things and other moments, like what else has he seen? But he's, then he went on to say, I've been watching you pray with people and I've been watching you gather people around your fireplace in prayer and in worship. And he says, that's just been so encouraging to me. Intentional living is us living aware that people are watching us. And they are determining what they believe about Jesus based upon our lives. Intentional living is really the same journey that I believe Jesus took his disciples on. And we're trying to be faithful to that. I love this quote by Hayden Robinson. He highlights three questions that I believe get to the core of spiritual life and what we really mean by intentional living. The three questions are this. First, do you love God? I think that's a great question. The second is, do you love your neighbors? Wow, that's, that's a great question. Very simple. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbors? But then the third question I think is powerful. Do you mind if I ask them? Well, I mean, that, could you imagine that going into our hubs this week or into our growth communities where we talk about, yeah, yeah, I love God. Yeah, yeah, I love my neighbors. Okay, would you mind if we go and do an interview with them to find out if they would say the same thing? So with that, well, who is a neighbor? 
So many times we think it's literally just the person that lives next to us or across the street. And, and so I want to make sure we have the same definition of neighbor based upon what's revealed in the New Testament. And so neighbors, here's just a quick list of neighbors. Friends can be neighbors. Family can be neighbors. Coworkers. For those of you that are involved in city sports or other programs, teammates can be neighbors. Neighbors that actually share a wall with us or are on the same block with us, they, they, those people can be neighbors. People that just seem to appear in your day. It could be the same drugstore that you go to, the same grocery store that you're constantly in. It could be the place that you walk your dog or let, let the dog play. It could be a lot of things, but there's people that are constantly being added to our days. There's acquaintances. And even during the pandemic, we still have them. There might be the same delivery guy that's bringing you food from your favorite restaurant. It could be a bartender that you've gotten to know. It could be the male person that's always coming to your house. It could be the place where you're getting your hair cut or the people that are helping you with those things. It could be the doctors that you're visiting in the nurse's office where you're going. It could be the banker where you're going to process the finances that you have. And I also can encourage you to get out your phone, open up your contacts and just start scrolling your contacts. In your contacts, who are these names? I believe they could be your neighbors. If you look at passages like Matthew 22, 36 through 40 in the great commandment, there's a definition of a neighbor. I want to encourage you to look into that this week. If you look at Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, that's the story of the Good Samaritan. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is asked a question on, well, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, well, that's a great question. Let me, let me share a story with you to help you understand what the greatest commandment is. Because in that particular teaching, this religious person, this person of the law is saying, well, I'm, you know, he's like, um, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he's like, and second is that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then the guy says, well, who is my neighbor? That's just how he responds to Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Who do I love like I love God? Who's your so the story of the Good Samaritan is asked in that context. And so two religious leaders come by this man that is beaten. And the scriptures say nearly half dead. And that is a an idiom, a colloquialism, a regionalized language in Hebrew and, uh, or in the early Greek that this was translated from to mean beaten almost beyond recognition. This person was beaten so badly that when you walked up on them, you could barely tell if they were male or female. You couldn't tell if they were rich or poor. You couldn't tell if they were a Jew or a non-Jew, a Gentile. They were so badly beaten that all you could tell is that there was a beaten human being. And so two religious leaders walk by and there's a lot of things we could say about that, um, good and bad. We can also see the good Samaritan coming, getting down, wrapping the person, putting him on his own donkey and walking him to an inn and taking care of them and making sure there was no debt associated with it and absorbing the full costs and giving this person that was beaten till they were half dead dignity and bringing them back to full function at no expense. This is the a sacrifice that the Samaritan did. And so let me just tell you, Jesus is speaking in a Jewish context, making the Samaritan the hero of the story, which the Samaritans were considered a hated group of people to a Jewish person. We don't have time for all that today, but we do get into that more in our intentional living class. And so Jesus then, so he's asked, who is my neighbor, gives the story of the Good Samaritan and the great loving sacrifice of the Samaritan. And then Jesus looks back and asks a different question. The other question is, who was my neighbor? Look at those two questions. Who is my neighbor? Who was my neighbor? Or who was the neighbor, not my neighbor? Who was the neighbor? And I think it's really important because the lawgiver, the, the person that was an expert in the law, wanted to know who they were supposed to show the love of God to. And Jesus says, I want you to be a person that shows the love of God to others. So the question is slightly shifted. The goal isn't to figure out, well, who am I kind to? 
or who do I show love to? The person, the, the point of Jesus' teaching is, is that you are ever ready, always ready to be a neighbor that looks like Jesus. And so that's the, uh, one way that this is expressed is in the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14, which we don't have time to get into, but there's, there's in this particular passage, there's a love of the neighbors when it's inconvenient. It wasn't convenient for the disciples to feed all these people, but yet Jesus said for them to do it. It seemed impossible. When we love our neighbors, it's many times going to seem impossible because all they had was a, a few fish and some few loaves, and they had all these people. And and then you, then we love our neighbor generously and spontaneously. We don't begrudgingly do this. We take our time and we generously and spontaneously love. We love our neighbors in partnership with Jesus. And this is what I want to want you to hear in this feeding of the five thousand. The disciples were basically coming to Jesus. What are you going to do about it? And then Jesus' response to them is, "What do you have?" So the disciples were looking for the easy out, like Jesus send them away or Jesus do something. And no, Jesus looked back at them and just said, what do you have? All I have is this. And Jesus like, that's enough. I'm going to get involved in that. Let me just say to us as a church, we might not have much, but let's just hold what we have up to Jesus and say, this is what we have to meet the needs of the people around us. And I believe that Jesus can do more than we ever ask or imagine. So what does this look like practically? I have a couple of slides. The normal church is like this, and um, where you have neighborhoods and cul-de-sacs and houses and a church building, and everybody finds their way to church. And so in this particular um, picture, you see Jimmy living as a single male in a home, and he goes to church. Abe and Sarah have been married. They're, they're going to church. You have Bo and Ruth. They're going to church. And that has become the church model in America is, well, everybody go meet at church. Well, I am saying under intentional living and under the replanting of our church and under what we believe the early church was doing is, is that needs to be different, is that our place where we live needs to be a place where people come to. So the neighbors around Jimmy come to Jimmy's house and then they become and go with Jimmy to a larger gathering of a church. The same thing with Abe and Sarah, their neighbors are coming to them. Bo and Ruth, people are coming to them and then they are getting introduced to the larger church. So what does this look like in row home living? So maybe we don't live in a house or, or we share walls. Let me bring up the block. This is where my family moved to on January 1st of 2008. It's a little light blue square at the corner of Washington Street and Fairmont Avenue. And that's where our home was. And there was a restaurant halfway down the block called Life of Riley's. And so we started eating there and getting to know our neighbors. And then in the next slide, you can see that our neighbors were starting to come to our house and then joining us for dinner at Life of Riley's. That is the pattern of living intentionally is who is on the way, who is around us, who are the people that we are supposed to be loving like we love God and receiving and giving to them. If you live in an apartment, it's the same thing. You can have the apartment at the end of the hallway and getting to know people on your, on your floor or on other floors. And they're coming to you and getting to experience the truth of Christ in you. And then they're introduced to the church. And in our intentional living class, we introduce us to this pathway of relationships. And I think it's important because you and I have to be intentional about where people are and, and how we walk with them. And so we have these six words and they all start with the letter F. And so the first word is foreign. And what I mean by that word is that we just don't know who they are. We're just aware. Like for me right now, nearly half of the block where I live are new people. They've just, the pandemic has forced so many people out and new people are coming in. And so right now I might know somebody as, oh yeah, that's the new tall guy that lives across the street. Or that's the person that drives a really nice new car that's parked on the street. We don't know one another. But when they become familiar, is says, oh, that's Michael and that's Anna. 
that we're now becoming familiar. Oh yeah, he, he, he's new. He just transferred here and he, 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 he got a job in our city government or how, who, whatever that is. But there's becomes an affil- a familiarity where maybe it's just first name or we begin to get to know them through occupation. But then when they become friends, there's a, they start asking each other questions or we start asking each other questions like, Hey, well, um, where's a good park to take my dog or where do you get your car repaired or, and, and the level of questions shows the amount of trust that that individual has to you. So if they have a deep level of trust, they'll be like, Hey man, this pandemic's been rough. Um, we, um, do you know a good counselor? That's, that means they have a lot of trust in you or a little bit of trust is, Hey, where do you get your clothes dry cleaned? I have a, a suit that got messed up. I need to get it dry cleaned. And so questions start to, to happen in friendship, but they become followers of you when they begin to see the character of Jesus lived out in you. And when they begin to see, they start asking you questions about why you have peace and why you have hope and why the pandemic isn't robbing you of your joy. And then you get a chance to share with them that hope that you have in Jesus, which we're going to be talking more about next Sunday. And then they get a chance to be introduced to the faith and become brothers and sisters of ours, which means they ultimately become family. And they've been through this path with us from foreign to familiar, to friend, to follower, to faith, and then to family. And we as a church can't just be excited that people heard about Jesus. We get excited when our family expands and more and more brothers and sisters are with us. And I love this quote that was read at the beginning of our gathering from this unknown author. Um, and I think it's a good way for me to transition here now. If Jesus saved my soul, the church is saving my life. It says both and. It's like Jesus to the church and the church to others. And we're giving the opportunity for people to receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and join in to his kingdom, his will, and his way here on earth. And so in saving one's soul, we're also joining in saving one's life. And so to summarize this, we are a people and we are in a place. Some of you will be here for a short period of time. Others, you will be here for a long period of time or longer period of time. Some of you may be permanent residents here in Baltimore, but it doesn't matter wherever we are and um, whoever we are, wherever we are, people in place, that is where we minister as the church. We, where we are as followers of Jesus and who is there. So where, where are we? Like who, where are we as followers of Jesus? Like where's our maturity? And then who is there around us? And as we're learning, we're sharing. And as we're growing, we're helping others grow. And as we receive the blessings, we are sharing those blessings. And it doesn't just stop with us. So in Acts 2, 44 through 47, let me, let me end our teaching with this reminder out of Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Wow. They were... They, that's a, that's a powerful sentence. Let that marinate on you or, or, or settle on you, um, just a little bit. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So everyone, the diversity, they were enjoying all of it together. And listen to this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Only God. We can't control the results, but we must be faithful for what he's asked us to do as a church. We are to love God. We are to love our neighbors. We are to take the gifts that we've received and offer them to other people. And God is the one that then adds to our church and that and that continues um, to expand and to spread the influence of our church or the number of people that we're, we're eating with and we're celebrating the church with. That is God's desire. That is what God does for his church. But we don't just, wow, man, it's not working. So I stop. No, we remain faithful 
And we'll talk some more about that next week. And so let me go back to the list we shared two weeks ago, because we need to develop rhythms. Do you have questions? Ask your neighborhood pastor. Don't just sit in your questions. Send them to your pastor. Talk about them in your growth community. Talk about them in your hub. Establish a Sunday routine, whether it's in Zoom or other ways. It is important that we begin to discipline ourselves into our Sunday routine. Join the Zoom. I think it's important next step for many of you to step into those Zoom opportunities. It is important for us to make hub connections. We need that deeper spiritual friendships that are focused on Jesus, that are helping us to grow in the will and the ways of our Father in heaven. You need to sign up for a growth community if you're not in one. We want to help you do that. It is a joy to give. It is exciting to give. We need to continue to contribute financially if and when we can. Many of our brothers and sisters are not eligible for financial aid that is coming. We, and I believe that, that we need to like this story in Acts 2, 44 through 47. What do we have in common? Where are the needs? How can we distribute what we have so that everyone has what they need and there's cause for us to praise the Lord? And then the last thing we shared was have fun. We need to have fun as we go, as we are intentionally living. Let's intentionally have fun doing it and rejoice along the way. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the example of love that came in Jesus Christ. Would you please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to mirror his life in our life. Help us with the relationships that are around us. Let us be intentional with your wisdom and your strength in the relationships that are around us that we call neighbors. Help us to overcome any fear and timidity, whether we're an introvert or an extrovert. Father, help us to overcome the pressures of this pandemic, to stabilize ourselves in what is true and what is life-giving in Jesus Christ so that we can offer that to other people. Thank you for leading us, guiding us, giving us direction, helping us, giving us a prophecy to share. Thank you for that. And Father, would you please be with all of my brothers and sisters and be and be the encouragement that they need. Help us to see so we can be an encouragement. Thank you for answering our prayers this week in our time of prayer. So Father, please, for all my brothers and sisters watching, help them to be a light like Jesus Christ. Amen. We want to invite you to respond to the word of God that we just received. We believe we are getting closer to becoming the church that Jesus wants us to be. We know that he is speaking and working in our hearts. We want to focus on three responses. God doesn't have a plan B for his will and way to be known on the earth. The church is his plan. Are you aware that this includes you? Let's pause together and listen to the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to you? This pandemic has impacted us over the last 10 months in so many ways. Where do you need to adjust? What do you need to do to help others? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Loving God and loving our neighbors is so easy to say, but we don't always remember. Are you struggling to remember? Are you living this out? What are the next steps you need to take to grow more mature in love for God and others? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you?
Let's respond to the Holy Spirit and acknowledge his work in us. Hey, church, I hope you found this encouraging today. I want to give you a couple of follow-up announcements. If you are not in a growth community, we want to help you find that community, place to start those spiritual relationships. It is easy. Just open up the app, click the connect button, or you can email us at connect at gcbdowntown.com. We want to get you involved. But I also want to remind you of the two opportunities. Ten minutes after the benediction, there's a moment for us to join into a Zoom lingering. The link is in um, this video description. So please make plans to join us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together, the Eucharist. We're going to have a chance to ask questions, uh, to talk about some of the things that have been happening in our city and around the world. Um, so grab your um, communion supplies, um, be ready to come together in that moment. It's a great opportunity for those of you that are new to meet people and for many of you that are fighting just the effects of this pandemic to connect in some meaningful conversation and relationships with each other. So pl make plans to join us in that Zoom lingering. All right, so here's our benediction. We've said a lot today, but here's our final words. As we go from here today, May we see the effects of the pandemic and sin in our lives and on one another. And may we have the wisdom to respond to the impact and the pain that this causes to us and to our community. And may we have the strength and the courage this week to be intentional with our time and our resources so that the good news of Jesus may spread rapidly and with great joy to the people around us. And may we not grow weary in doing good. May God's grace and peace be with you, church. Thank you so much.